0: All right. I'm very excited to have Dr. Hans Boateng, the investing tutor, coming on the show. Dr. Hans, welcome to Docs Outside the Box.
1: Yeah, Dr. Nee, thank you for having me. Very excited for our discussion today.
0: You're excited. So listen, I heard you last week or two weeks ago on Farnoosh Tarabi's So Money podcast and the way in which you described and analytically described the whole GameStop fiasco, as well as Robinhood and how all of this stuff works with hedge fund managers. I took a flyer and I was like, look, I'm going to try to reach out to him and see. He's got a lot of followers on Twitter, on Instagram, and I'm going to see if he's going to respond. And you responded. And I'm really excited because I really want you to take that same approach with describing to our listeners, the med students, the residents, as well as the young attendings, how analytical, I guess, and how to really understand the
1: basics of investing. Yeah, I think it's very important for me, people in my community, immigrants, minorities, and also when you look at healthcare, most individuals in healthcare, they kind of go to school and they are never exposed to accounting or personal finance or investing. So, for that cohort of individuals, I mean, obviously, as a doctor of pharmacy student, I feel that this gives and grants me an opportunity to be able to have that dialogue, right? So that we can look at things from, okay, what are the facts when it comes to money and investing? What do these individuals need to know? And how can they truly build wealth without that fear of the unknown? I think that fear comes from,
0: obviously the fear that's an emotion, right? And that emotion comes from tabloids, from news, from experiences. And in many regards, it's irrational, right? Like I have that type of feeling with money initially, right? For example, like when we were in New York, growing up in New York, my family's from Ghana also, as you already know, by the last name. But I remember my dad, he worked very hard. And I remember in 1987 occurred, Black Monday occurred. And I remember shortly afterward, he lost his job. And there was a very distinct memory that I remember that my parents sat me and my sister down, not in swa at the time. And I remember them telling us like, when you guys go to school or when you guys are playing around, you have to be very careful because your father lost his job. We don't have health insurance. You have to go to the hospital. It's going to be very expensive. So we have to be very careful with how we do things. And I just remember like Jim telling us very distinct things of what we can and can't do. And it was kind of like, we we're looking at each other, me and my sister, like, what's going on and stuff. For that type of relationship of like when you put money in a stock market, you lose your money. That type of stuff has followed me throughout my life. You know, then you throw on top of it nineteen or excuse me, two thousand and eight, and I was very reluctant to jump into the stock market because I just thought it was a place where you gambled your money away. You put your money in, you lose it. You know, you can't take care of your family. All your hard earned money goes away and stuff. So I'm glad you're here to like set the record straight, break it down for us. So
1: yeah because interestingly, the stock market has never lost money for the past 100 years. When you look at the average return of the stock market for the past 100 years, in actuality, if you add in dividends, the stock market has returned on average about 10% year over year since 1920. So and So that includes the Great Depression,
0: that includes the Great Recession, that includes Black Monday, that includes the dot-com bust, that includes 2008, that includes Brexit. So despite all of those things that we always hear about, like the sky is falling, you're saying that on average, studies are showing about 10% rate
1: of 10%, return? Yeah, rate of return if you factor in dividends as well. That's been compounded for over 100 years. So then the question is for the individuals who lost everything, the question is, where did they have their money invested? And often the response that you get is, well, I gave my money to this money manager. Well, where was the person placing the money? Right? Let's say that individual was placing all of the money in a couple of, let's take the tech bubble right in 2000. Let's say that individual was taking all of the money and placing it in maybe five small cap tech stocks. And those companies, and small cap means small company. And let's say those five companies go out of business. Well, then yeah, you don't have any money. But if that advisor or money manager, or if you were placing money in index funds or certain funds that track industries, right? Or if an individual were investing in large cap stocks, so large companies, reputable companies like the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks,
0: Coca-Cola and stuff,
1: Coca-Cola, Disney, right? Well, they are still around, so you wouldn't have lost money, right? You would have made a tremendous amount of money doing what we're discussing right now, so. We often just hear snippets of the truth. We don't hear the entire detail, right? Where did the individual place the money?
0: When you say that, I want to throw in another story because I think that there are a lot of people who are like me who they hear about all this stuff. And just like how you described, if you come from an immigrant background, if you're a minority, if you're a woman, uh, or if you just grew up in a family where finances weren't discussed you feel like money is this nebulous, scary thing. The most you know to do is either to accumulate money and then put it into a savings account or just put it under your bed and that's it. So for me, I just want to talk about what my biggest financial mistake was. So because of these early relationships that I had with money, once I got into residency, they had a 401k. I think it was either a 4 through B or a 401k. And I never utilized it at all. They had a match- all of that stuff, I just did not get into any of that stuff. And while I was going through it, obviously I was so busy in a general surgery residency. I was in Atlanta. I was just trying to get my bearings and I just forgot about it. And I say that's my biggest financial mistake, even though we and my wife had like almost $700,000 in student loan debt. I say that even more so that was a bigger financial mistake of not investing in my 401k because For me, I missed out on the concept of compounding interest, which what Albert Einstein says is the biggest invention, the greatest invention of all time. I missed on the opportunity to just evaluate stocks, evaluate what's an index fund, evaluate what is a bond. It didn't give me an opportunity to budget, right? In order to put money in there, I have to kind of prioritize where my money is going. So I missed out on learning how to budget And like I said, I also missed that on compounding interest. So for you, when you hear that type of story and you know that there are a lot of people, particularly in the healthcare professions, like what do you say? How do you start with people like that? How do you get them to detach the emotion, the irrationality of emotions and what's going on with the stock market, particularly of what you're saying that has been going over the past 100 years?
1: Yeah, I think that it is educating oneself, right? To Look at something and say to myself, Well, why do I feel this way about this thing? Is it because of what I see in the news? Is it because of what some neighbor or a relative said? And then do your due diligence, right? So go out there and go discover the truth. So, with what I'm sharing with you, anyone can Google it, right? SP 500 historic return. And they'll be able to find that the stock market on average has never lost money. <laughs> it's been compounding at, like we discussed, 10% over a year. And during those major drawdowns, we can see, let's say, a 50% drawdown. But when you say drawdown, what do you mean by that specifically? Drawdown meaning, like, you know, the market, I don't want to say tumbling, because once again, individuals <laughs> hear that, but let's say, Pulling back, right? So then the market taking a couple of the gains that it's offered, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know, during like a downturn. So during like a drawdown, like a major drawdown, which on average we experience one, let's say every 10 years. That's been kind of like, and it's not that it's 10 years on the dot, because you know, if it were, people would be tremendously rich. But on average, we can expect a drawdown or a downturn, let's say every 10 years. We experienced in 1999, 2000, the dot-com bubble, then what, 07, 08. So you see that one even came up like two years earlier, right? And now what, COVID, <laughs> 2019, 2020. And it's not that it's fixed, but generally about every 10 years. And during these pullback moments, it's roughly about 40 to 50%. So it seems scary, right? But if you go back and look at the data, often it takes about one to two, often three years to recover from that downturn. So for example, from 2007 to 2009, the stock market gradually lost about 50% of its value. So specifically speaking about the S&P 500. And then from that 50% pullback in 2009, the stock market went on to recover upwards of 500% from 2009 to 2019. I mean, for any and everyone who was concerned and worried about just a 50% pullback, they lost all of those returns. And guess what? From 2009 till about 2011, the market regained that 50% drawdown. So literally it went from, okay, you lost 50% to right now you're back up to where you were prior to that downturn. And from 2011 through till 2019, it was what, 450%. (laughs) So basically what you're saying is
0: is like, and I'm sure we'll get into it later on is, like the savvy investor will know that when the market pulls back, it's not an opportunity or it's not a time to jump ship. It's actually possibly an opportunity to put more of contribute more into the stock market because you're buying stocks and bonds at what we would call a discount. Right. And then when the market
1: comes wow. back up. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for everyone listening, let's say you are planning to buy a house or a car, right? Or a gift for a loved one. Now, let's say the gift is super expensive. Let's say the gift is a thousand dollars. And let's say the house is a million (laughs) dollars. Okay. And let's say the car is $50,000. The price point is fixed. All of a sudden, You go in, so you've gone, you've looked at the gift or the house or the car, and then you go in the next day. And then let's say the manager is like, oh my gosh, for some reason, we have a sale for the gift, the car and the house. So now you can get the exact same gift for $500 instead of a thousand. Oh, the house, you can get the same house, the same location, nothing has changed, but you can get it for (laughs) $500,000. And for the car, instead of 50000 you can get it for 25000 But the thing is, it's only available now, right? So when the market pulls back, it's available then. You don't know what next week, it could be up 10%. So when we see a pullback in the market, it clearly is a discount. I'll never forget this quote. It said the stock market is the only market where when things go on sale, people run out of the store.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. People jump ship. They get nervous when they should be staying in. Like, wait, what? It's like TJ Maxx in here, right? <laughs> <Let> me, <laughs> so, well, let me ask you this question. So let's start with number one then. Let's start with the first tip or the first thing that we're going to teach people. Why should you invest your money in the stock market, in bonds, in companies versus just put your stuff in very safe things like a savings account or a CD? Why should you do that?
1: Very simply, inflation, which most people don't know, is this concept that the value of goods and services continue to rise, right, each year. And to simplify this, the amount that you were paying for Netflix three years ago is not the same amount you're paying today. <laughs> so then- They're always raising their rates, first Exactly. <laughs> so things get expensive over time. Well, if things are getting expensive over time, it means the money in your savings account is depreciating or becoming less valuable over time. Yeah, right. I, know I have a high yield
0: savings account right now, and I think it's only given like zero point five percent.
1: Exactly. So inflation is about the general percentage for inflation is about two percent, right? So if you have a savings account or any type of account that is paying you less than two percent, it means you are losing money, right? So once again, it's just a fact. So why should someone invest? Well. Someone needs to invest if they ever want to be free in the future. If you want freedom, you have to invest. What do I mean by this? Yeah,
0: what do you mean by that?
1: At the end of the day, time is money. When you are working for someone, you are trading or exchanging your time to be able to make money. If you ever want to be able to stop working, Well, that means you don't want to trade your time. If you don't want to trade your time, well, then you're going to need to have money. (laughs) So how do you make or have money without exchanging or trading your time to be able to earn it? You have to find a way to identify vehicles that can make you money without your time, okay? And generally, I've discovered that there are two vehicles that the rich and wealthy use in building or accumulating wealth. Most of them will have a business so they can hire someone, right? So then it's someone else's time and they are using or leveraging that to make money. So that's one common way that it's done. The other is investing, right? And this is why I want you to not necessarily even restrict yourself to the stock market, but anything that you can put money in that can generate money without your time. It's an investment, right? Uh, stock market, real estate, art, cryptocurrency, which is a whole long conversation. <laughs> That's going to be part three of this conversation. <laughs> and assets or investing in something that makes money without your time. Mm. For the individual who's just putting money in a savings account, I mean, what are you doing? Because let's assume and literally save a million dollars in a savings account, which is quite difficult to do. But let's assume a person can actually do that. You spend twenty years saving a million dollars. Well, twenty years from now, your million dollars is worth maybe four hundred thousand or three hundred thousand. Yeah, because remember you're losing 2% per year uh, compounded. And the truth is you're not really losing 2%. You're actually losing more than 2%. Because that 2% inflation, they are taking a basket of like corn, rice, wheat, flour, right? They are taking commodities that we in this technological world, that's not what they should be (laughs) looking at. They should be looking at how much are we paying for our cell phone? How yeah. much are we paying for Spotify? How much are we paying for Amazon? Child, how, how much are we paying for the iPhone? Yeah. Probably is increasing at about 20% or maybe 10% year over year. So can you imagine someone who just has a million dollars thinking that the million dollars is a million? No. At a 10% compounded rate of return, that 1 million might have a purchasing power of $100,000 at a 10% inflation rate in the next 20 years. So everyone needs to invest.
0: Hold up. Before we continue to all my day ones, and you know each and every one of you who you are, thank you for rolling with the show from Jump. And to the new listeners, welcome. What's good? Where y'all been? I want y'all to stay a while. All right. So look, I'm trying to build a community here and I need your help. So with whatever app you're listening to this show right now, I want you to click the subscribe button. Then I want you to go over to Apple Podcasts and I want you to rate and review the show. And you may be asking, how does this help? The way how it helps is by helping the show to grow and rise up in the rankings so that it's easier for new people to discover the show. Now, what's in it for you is at least once a week, I'm going to be going through these reviews I'm going to pick a lucky reviewer and I'm going to give that person an opportunity to have a 15 minute session with me where we could talk about anything from personal finance, getting your money right to just shooting the you know what about the show. So listen, remember, all I need you to do is subscribe and then rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. Let's get on with the episode. Peace. All right. So you convinced me that I need to invest my money. I need to not put it underneath my bed. I need to keep just an emergency fund, maybe just in my high yield savings account or a savings account, but I'm going to invest the rest. So you got me. But listen, my issue is, is that I'm worried about what's going on with like, in the with Enron, MCI, like all of these companies. So what's the deal? Like, am I picking individual stocks? Mm. Or you talked about index funds of following the market. Tell me, how does that work? I don't want to lose my money. So I want to put my money in the stock market, but I don't want to lose my money. So teach me this, Dr. Hans, please.
1: (laughs) I've never lost money. And truthfully... You've never lost money? No, I've never lost money. In the stock market? Never lost money in the stock market. (laughs) All All right, I'm listening. All right, so let's... So picking individual stocks versus following the market. Explain all that for us. It should be a combination of things. So the way that I look at it is this. Let me take a step back because there are multiple facets to this. But at the high level, this is what I would say. If you follow conventional standard kind of uh, dogma, you should expect conventional kind of average results, right? So I shared with you that the stock market has been averaging about 10% year over year, right? If you are someone who's born into money, and you're compounding your money at 10%, you're fine. You're going to do okay. If you are an immigrant or a minority like myself, I probably need to have a higher than a 10% return because I'm starting from literally <laughs> point where I don't have wealth. I'm now building wealth, right? And I need to be able to do it in such a way that I can also pass on a sizable amount to the next generation. So a 10% return is not going to cut it for me. I mean, the difference between 10% and 13% is huge. Like I did the math, an individual who's earning minimum wage, who is investing from age 20 up until 65, which is retirement, that individual getting a 10% rate of return would retire with a million dollars. If they get a 13% rate of return, just 3%, they retire with $3 million. Oh, wow. Okay. So just so a, a huge, 3% huge difference. difference is huge. So now that you understand that, what I'm saying is this. When a person is starting to invest, you should start with a retirement account through your employer. It is an absolute must. So Here's, this is like a 401k? 401k, 403b thrift savings plan. It is an absolute must. Here's why. And I think you're going to love this because you're a little bit risk averse.
0: (laughs) You get what I'm feeling, yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
1: imagine an investment account where as soon as you put money into the account, someone is going to give you a 100% return on that money up to a certain amount, guaranteed 100% return, (laughs) right? So if your employer is matching 5% of your income, and let's say 5% of your income is $10,000, so the moment you put $10,000 into your retirement account, your employer gives you 10000 instantly. Now you have 20000 which is being invested in the market, averaging and compounding at 10%. That individual will be a multimillionaire, guaranteed. You have to take advantage of that retirement account. I get that point, but my fear is, is how do I know which funds to invest in? With that one, it honestly doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter because even if a person was picking a target dated fund, right, which means it's a combination of some... Or even let's get even basic, Like, what is an index fund? What is that? An index fund is just a basket of stocks. So essentially, the most popular index fund is the S&P 500, which is a basket of the top 500 stocks in the US at any given time. So literally, this index or this fund is tracking the top performing 500 companies. So I want you to think about this. It means that if a company is not performing and there's another up-and-coming company that's outperforming a company that's in the S&P 500, that underperforming company will be automatically removed and replaced with a top-performing company. So literally this fund Is cycling through every single day. What are the best 500 companies in the US? This is why it's part of the reason why it's never lost money (laughs) because you always consistently have the top performing 500 companies. So in 2010, the top 500 companies were in the index then. Now, 2021, the top 500 companies now are in the index. That's why Tesla was added to the S&P 500 index, right? My favorite company. Exactly. (laughs) We are consistently cycling. We're taking out the old and making room for the new. So that's the S&P 500, a basket of companies. So
0: real quick then, okay, help us understand, what's the difference? Because people always hear index funds and then they hear mutual funds. What's the difference? Explain that to us.
1: Well, an index fund is not managed by anyone, right? There isn't, in quote, a fund manager that has to make the decision of what goes into a fund or not. An index fund is automatic. Like I said, its purpose is tracking for the S&P 500, the top 500 companies in the US. Well, a mutual fund, even if a mutual fund is choosing to track the S&P, a fund manager has to go in and actively make or invest the fund in that way. So the core difference between the two is let's say we have a mutual fund of the S&P 500, which has an actively managed fund by a manager, right? And we have an index fund, which is the S&P 500 ETF. Well, the, person the active manager has to be paid money for essentially copying the S&P so if someone has a mutual fund they are going to be paying on average about 50 times the cost for having <laughs> that mutual fund because someone is doing the work of creating that mutual fund for you right so if there's an active manager whereas the ETF or the S&P 500 index, it's automatic. Think about it as a computer program that is always matching the market. You don't have someone that you have to pay. You don't have an active manager that you have to pay. How does that manifest then in terms of when you're buying the stock
0: or buying the index fund versus a mutual fund? Like when you say, if you have an actively managed mutual fund, you have to pay a little bit more. Like How do you determine if what you're paying is the right amount. Like
1: this is where you're talking about like expense ratios and so forth. Expense ratios, fees, exactly. Expense ratio tells you the cost of, of the fund, right? And I just want to also caveat because Vanguard has mutual funds and they call them mutual funds, but they have very low expense ratios. And the reason is because even though Vanguard has designated it as a mutual fund. There's really no active manager for that fund. So that's why Vanguard, in quotes, mutual funds tend to be low cost, right? So for individuals who want to know, well, is this fund too expensive or is it affordable? Your average ETF, so your average index fund, I'll say typically, should give you an expense ratio of, let's say, less than 0.25%, okay? So less than 0.25, you know that your standard index funds, S&P 500, should be lower than that. They are even way lower than that. They are typically like 0.0 something. But I just want to give a general ballpark of what an individual can expect. If you have a fund that is above 1%, it's a mutual fund.
0: Okay. And it's expensive, gotcha. We're
1: extremely expensive because if you were to take a compound interest calculator and a person investing over 30, 35 years should have, let's say, a million dollars right in 35 years, if that person was paying 0.05%, so the index fund, right, the low cost, that person might retire with 900 and So pretty much they lost, what, $10,000 to fees, right? If that same person had money in a mutual fund that was charging 1.5% or 2%, that individual will lose half of their money. So they'll lose five, yeah, (laughs) $500,000. Oh, wow.
0: Okay. You guys got to watch out and make sure you're keeping your expense ratios 0.25% or lower.
1: Yes. For index funds, you might have some ETFs that might have a slightly higher expense ratio. But if it's an index fund, meaning S&P 500 total stock market index, less than 0.25. If it's an ETF that is giving you a higher return, like an ARK, which is very popular, ARKK, right, by Kathy Woods, she's charging 0.75, but it's still less than 1%, right? So generally, if you're above 1%, then you are definitely looking at a mutual fund. If you're under 1%, you're looking at an ETF, but if you are below 0.25, then it's an index. Okay. So now
0: you have your 401k, you're a resident, you have a 401k. You're saying that you would recommend, and obviously there's a disclaimer on this, guys, like we are not, uh, <laughs> this is not professional advice. Don't come at us. We ain't trying to get sued. Make sure you talk to your tax professional or your CPA or your financial advisor about this information, all right? This is for edutainment purposes only. Don't try to sue me. So <laughs> now that we said that, right? so can you buy individual stocks in a
1: 401k? Usually it's just like, Mutual funds are like index funds, correct? Exactly. Mutual funds, index funds, right? So that first layer of investing should start with that retirement account. Like we said, get your free money. That matching contribution is free money. You want it and allocate it into the market. For someone who wants to keep it simple, I tend to just invest in an S&P 500 index. Every 401k should have an S&P 500 index. I mean, it is impossible not to have it in there.
0: (laughs) Got you. So it'll be under so many different companies. Like it may be a Vanguard or a Fidelity or a Schwab or Spider or something like that. But you're saying go after the S&P 500. That should be a main component of your investing in your
1: 401k. 100%. Okay. Now, after a person has that layer retirement account, Now you're going to layer an additional investment vehicle on top of that. This is where you add on ETFs, so exchange-traded funds. It's interesting. In 2016, I was talking about ETFs back then, but most people didn't even know what ETFs were. Now, obviously, people tend to know what they are now. So an ETF, also like a mutual fund, is just a basket of investments but the name tells you the type of fund it is right etf it stands for exchange traded fund right so it's a fund that trades on the stock exchange that's it that's the where i get confused so what's the difference between that and an index fund well an index fund is a basket of specific stocks so an index is used one to allow economists to be able to track the performance of let's say the country from a stock market perspective. So that index has a purpose. It is like, for example, Dow Jones, you know, 30 or S&P 500. So it is put together for a specific purpose. So think about it as an index is doing one specific thing for a country. So you can have an index of the US stock market, you can have an index of the Indian stock markets or Chinese stock markets, right? its purpose is to reflect the performance and it's a basket of companies. Now, an ETF, think about it as a basket that can hold any type of investment that trades on the stock market. So essentially, I want you to imagine an empty basket. Well, if this basket is empty, whatever we put into this ETF basket, the ETF becomes that thing. So it's an empty basket. If you put an S&P 500 index into the ETF basket, then voila, the ETF is tracking the S&P 500 index. Okay. So now let's take the S&P 500 index out. Now let's go grab real estate, a bunch of real estate properties, so a REIT, right? And let's take that real estate and let's place it into the ETF. Once again, now the ETF is tracking that real estate investment, right? Let's take real estate out. Let's go grab gold. Okay. We bring gold and we put it into the ETF. Now this ETF is tracking gold. So essentially the ETF allows you to track any publicly traded investment. So you can pick and choose what types of ETFs you want. That's why it's a second layer. Because if a person has a foundation with an S&P 500, now they can add on an ETF and imagine, I mean, the sky is the limit. I can have an ETF tracking software companies so or an ETF tracking medical device company.
0: Oh, now I get it. Yes. The first layer you're investing in all the great companies in the entire United States or in internationally, what have you, the great companies. And then the second layer is, you know what? I want to get a little bit more focused, right? Mm-hmm. but I'm going to keep my majority of my investing in the overall market, but I want to invest a little bit more money maybe in healthcare, or I want to invest a little bit more money in tech. Is that what you're talking about? Get an ETF for that. Absolutely. See, I'm not so bad, Dr. Hans. I can figure this
1: stuff out. I can get the irrational stuff out. I got you. 100%. Okay. So now at the foundation, you have you know, exposure to the entire market. But with adding these ETFs of specific industries or sectors, you're not going to be getting just a 10% average return. Now you're talking 13 to 15% with those mm-hmm. ETFs because they are very specific. Okay. But you have the foundation in place that's in quotes, and I'm using this word loosely, guaranteeing you that 10% average with a retirement account. So you have the mm-hmm. 10% average. Now we're layering on top an opportunity to get 13 you know, to 15% with the ETFs. And guess what? Now we add the third layer. So you see, generally, people just say, don't pick stocks. Well, if you construct your portfolio the way that I've you know, shared, all of a sudden, stocks compose or comprise the third layer. So I didn't start with individual stocks. You get it. Mm. So when you're adding on stocks, all of a sudden, it is to get you even well above that 13 to 15% threshold. And hopefully be between 15 to 20%. This is what unlocks a tremendous opportunity for individuals who weren't born into a rich and wealthy household. All of a sudden, if your investments are able to return about 13 to 15%, we're talking multi million dollar portfolios over a 20 to 35 year time horizon. Okay. All right. So now I get it.
0: So in your 401ks, you should be hitting off you know the overall market the index funds you can throw on an additional layer of ETFs now let's get into things like an IRA right an individual retirement account mm-hmm. can you explain what those are explain what the difference between traditional and Roth and then how should your portfolio look in that account also?
1: Yeah. So when it comes to an IRA, I think about it as falling into the basket of that second layer with ETFs, right? Because that first layer is a retirement account, which in essence, an IRA is a retirement account, but it's not being offered by an employer, right? So then you have some flexibility around how to invest it. So that's where I like IRAs to be affiliated with that second component, which are your ETFs. An IRA is an individual retirement account. What it does is it gives a person the autonomy to be able to invest by themselves. And there are tax benefits associated with an IRA. You have the two most popular types of IRAs. There's the traditional and then the Roth. The main difference between the two is the traditional IRA works kind of like a 401k. You put money into the account, but you're not paying taxes on that amount being deposited or being invested. So you're putting money in tax-free or you're putting money in and getting the tax benefits today, right? And then in the future, you have to pay taxes on it. That's the traditional IRA. It Works like a 401k. The Roth IRA, it's after-tax income. So after money hits your bank account, you know your employer has already taken taxes from that amount. You can invest that money, the after-tax income, into an IRA. There's a limit of how much you can invest. Roughly, i would say it's about six thousand currently as of this recording, and that six thousand you can invest each year. And in the future, you don't have to pay any taxes on, you know, that investment account, you know, that IRA, the Roth IRA. So traditional, you don't pay tax now. It can even reduce your tax burden. You pay taxes in the future. The Roth, you're putting money in after you've been taxed. And in the future, you're not paying any taxes on their capital gains.
0: So as residents, residents are usually in that 35 to like 60K range. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if they have enough money left over, they should be starting their own IRA. Which one do you recommend for them? Do you recommend a traditional or do you recommend a Roth for them if they're in that
1: pay range? I mean, definitely Roth because your 401k is going to give you that, you know, that traditional IRA component anyways, without the 6,000, you know restriction right okay. and also if you already have a 401k you know there's limitations you might be limited in being able to even have a traditional ira so use a 401k for the pre-tax meaning you know you're not taxed now you're taxed in the future use a 401k for that and some people like to even do a combination of traditional and roth for a 401k you can do that as well some people say With a 401k, should I go with traditional or Roth if given the option? I would say split it into two, right? Half in one, half in the other. It won't hurt. But for individuals who want an IRA, I would say nine times out of 10, in my opinion, probably almost 10 out of 10, it would serve them best to do a Roth IRA. Okay, bet. All right. So my resident, he opens up an IRA.
0: So what's he choosing now what's available to him is it the same thing like he's choosing index funds or stocks like what's your recommendations there
1: yeah remember with the ira or with a brokerage account you get access to etfs and stocks right so within this account the way that i like to think about it is this if with my retirement account the 401k i'm heavily in an s&p 500 I'm definitely not buying an S&P 500 in my IRA because I'm heavily exposed to that in my 401k. So this is where I come in and I have to, you know, at least educate myself a little bit to try and identify some ETFs in different industries or sectors that I'm interested in, right? Whether that is healthcare, like you said, pharmaceuticals, uh, semiconductors, software, Tech, medical devices, like trying to identify which industries or sectors a person is interested in. And I tend to prefer ETFs for IRAs. I just generally tend to prefer that. When an individual has a brokerage account, so, you know, regular brokerage accounts, a taxable account, that's where I also like ETFs and also stocks in that retail brokerage account. So, yeah, I mean, we're talking about like a Charles Schwab, a Vanguard, a Fidelity, and opening that uh, Roth IRA and being able to begin investing ETFs.
0: Okay. But you would not purchase individual stocks in that, in your opinion, you would
1: not individual. It's not that I wouldn't. And I'll be transparent. My rollover IRA, which people be like, what's a rollover IRA? If you leave a prior job, the old 401k, right? Most people will say, oh, I'll just transfer the old 401k into my new employer's you know, 401k account. That's a huge limitation. Like, that is money that can be set free, <laughs> right? Mm, yeah. Because a new 401k is going to limit you to you know, certain options of what you can buy. But if you roll it into an IRA, then the sky's the limit. So for me, initially, I had that rollover IRA in a few ETFs. But I woke up one day and I'm like, man, I just want this money to grow quicker. So I, you know, picked a few stocks and hyper-focused into those stocks. Obviously, with my level of knowledge about investing and my conviction with certain stocks, I can make that type of decision. But for someone who's not really, you know, As savvy with stock analysis, I generally just say IRAs, ETFs, because I mean, that's a basket of stocks. And it's going to be very hard for someone who's buying a basket of stocks to lose money.
0: Mm -hmm. Understood.
1: Okay. All right. So now we're at brokerage accounts now, Mm -hmm. right? So we got the
0: retirement accounts, we got the 401k taken care of, we got the Roth or the traditional IRA taken care of. And now, we decide to open up a brokerage account that you know we hear all the time. So what exactly is a brokerage account? And then what do you recommend in that situation?
1: Yeah, so a brokerage account, I want you to think about it like a bank account for investing, right? So then it gives you the ability to be able to purchase ETFs and stocks. So it gives you the ability to be able to invest in the stock market. So then my, I would say, some of my favorite brokerage platforms are Cash app, which is a great app for beginners, really? Because mm-hmm. you
0: know I'm so used to the cash app being like, "Oh, this is how I pay you, <laughs> you know, and that's it. I give some money to my sister or my dad or family members, but you really can start investing with the cash app. you
1: can with as little as one dollar. you know I often say that. There could be a pile of gold right next to you. But if you haven't been given that foresight and vision to identify that, you'd miss out on that opportunity. So Cash App is the perfect example. Literally right next to the dollar sign on the right-hand side, there's a squiggly line which literally gives you access to the stock market for as little as $1. And people don't even know that. (laughs) And, you know,
0: it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, my nieces and my nephews, you know, on my side, as well as my wife's side, like they all have the cash app. That's how we send them cash. And we always tell them like, you guys really should, you know, consider purchasing, you know, some stock, just, you know, small and minor stock. Before this, obviously we put them on Robinhood because it was very simple. But
1: now that you're telling me that you can do this on the cash app, it's so simple. Like, Yeah, cash app is way simpler than even Robinhood. So definitely cash out for beginners, Robinhood for an intermediate level knowledge, right? Intermediate. And for individuals who are investing a lot of money, right? They can consider their vanguards, their Charles Schwab's, and also their fidelities or their TD marriage trades.
0: All right. And so the brokerage account is basically, the way how I understand it, it's money that You don't need in like three years or five years. This is like it's still long-term investing. But if you're saving up for a house, you don't want to put your money in here.
1: No, 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 definitely not. If you need your money in less than three to five years, I'd keep it in a high-yield savings account. Yeah, because even if you're losing money to inflation, it's just over a three-year time horizon. It's not over ten to twenty. But because you need that money and you don't. No one knows what the stock market is going to do in the short term, right? Yeah, I'm not trying to hear the market goes
0: down and like, that's my down payment money. Like, where's my down payment money, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no one. I mean, anyone who tries to tell you that they can predict what the stock market is going to do in the short term is literally lying. It's impossible to know what the stock market is going to do in the short term. But over the long term. It's very possible because we have that historic precedent of, you know, certain average compounded returns. All right. So how do you pick stocks? What kind of stocks do you choose? So that people are like, okay, I can see where
0: you're coming from. How do you choose stocks so that it's not like this gambling type thing?
1: Yeah. And I know you had mentioned like Enron and things like that. Um, Yeah. Enron, MCI and like, who else? You know, Blockbuster. uh, (laughs) 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 Blockbuster. I would have said GameStop, GameStop. but you well, know. GameStop is still around, so it's <laughs> right, not right. gone out yet. For anyone who follows the philosophy that I subscribe to, in all honesty, it's almost impossible. I wanted to say impossible, but I'm just going to reword and say it's almost impossible to lose money investing the way that I invest, right? And that secret formula is this. Only invest in companies that you love and understand. And that's it. Right? Invest in companies that you love and understand. And it sounds so simple. People are like, really? That's it? Yeah, that's it. If you subscribe to Disney Plus, maybe you need Disney stock. If you have an Amazon Prime subscription, maybe you need Amazon stock. If you buy iPhones and MacBooks, well, maybe you need Apple stock. If you're a Netflix subscriber, well, maybe you need Netflix stock. And let me give you this example from 2009 to 2019 netflix has averaged a 50% return compounded so if every year yeah, every year 50% so someone who was investing $200 a month into netflix from 2009 to 2019 would have half a million dollars just $200 a month so Is it difficult difficult to identify companies you love? No, just look at how you spend your time and money. You know, when the pandemic happened and we shut down the economy, the stock market fell by about 45, 50%. I'll never forget that day. I was, I called up my wife. I was like, oh man, we just bought this house that we're living in. So it's not fully paid off. But I want you to know that if it was fully paid off, I'd be asking you right now for us to refinance this house, pull out all of the equity or at least half of the equity and invest it into the market. <laughs> Are you serious? 100%. 100%. Without- all right. So let me make sure I understand this right so that you can tell
0: how well I've been listening to you. So you're saying that because the market dropped, mm-hmm. stocks, index funds, all that stuff is all at a discount. Yep. You are saying that if the house was fully paid off, you would have taken
1: like a kilo, mm-hmm. taken whatever cash you got in there and dumped it right into... At least half. Because I would have been able to convince my wife to invest half of our paid off mortgage into the market guaranteed. Within, I say that even without hesitation. And here's why. If a company... Dr. Hans, man, what? I guess you don't understand it. What is this foolishness? No, it's not foolishness. <laughs> it is so smart. Let me explain why. You have a company like Apple, okay? A day ago, Apple was worth $2 trillion because it's running its business per usual. The next day, the president announces that we're closing the economy for a month. And because of that announcement, Apple drops 50% to $1 What has changed? Is Apple making 50% less revenue? Do they have 50% less employees? No, they don't. So it is just, once again, just irrational human nature. Oh my gosh, the sky is falling. I need to get out of the stock market because I need cash. And when that's the worst thing to do. And that's what people do. So that's why the stock market falls 50%. So in that moment, me knowing historically what always happens, remember I told you one to three years, we get a recovery. If the market is down 50%, And you have solid companies like Apple, Tesla, incredible companies which were down 50%. That is the best buying opportunity. Let me share this with you. During the time that the market fell, because the home wasn't paid off, right? All I had access to was an additional $5,000 that I put into the market, okay? $5,000. I was able to take that $5,000 and grow it to a hundred thousand in a year. Okay. So imagine if I had (laughs) 250,000 that was placed into the market in March, how much would I have today? (laughs) Where the money reside, where the money reside, Dr. Hans. And guess what? The market, when it fell in March, I was expecting a one year recovery because of- Oh, it recovered like in two months. Yes. (laughs) Two months, we were right back to the downturn. So for me, that was just such an incredible, easy opportunity. It was quite obvious, in all honesty. And I don't think we're ever going to have that kind of an opportunity in the future. But if that opportunity arises where you see the market drop 50%, you have to ask yourself. Should I put my house up for sale? No, (laughs) no, you're not putting it up for sale. (laughs) You're pulling, you're (laughs) pulling half of the equity. Right, you're pulling half of the equity, which is what at an interest rate of three to four percent. You're literally getting access to cash that you can deploy, and it doesn't even impact your finances in any way. Because if you can pay the mortgage, what does it matter?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Hans, you're gonna have some people pissed off at me, but this is good. This is good. I love this. I love this. I love this.
1: I am not. Once again the opportunity is gone. So someone who's listening to this cannot even have that opportunity again. It's gone. Everyone, we are recording this February 12, 2021. <laughs> All right? That yeah, the opportunity is gone. Like I am yeah. not going to randomly one day wake up and go pull, you know, the equity out of my house just to put it in the stock market. No, that's not the way that I invest. But that particular moment where the closing of the economy. And another reason why it was obvious is the same thing happened to China. China closed for a month. So China closed sometime in January and they reopened the economy end of February. Now the U.S. is closing. So we literally had house of proof and data for what was going to happen to the U.S. So for me, that was like very clear and transparent. All
0: right, so let's finish this up because we got to wrap this up a little bit. So, you know, with what's going on with GameStop, what happened with Robinhood, you know, there's a lot of, thought process to this concept of day traders people who day trade with stocks they got on reddit they game the system and what have you that's a little bit you know scary and if you're a physician you're busy you don't have enough time to do stuff like that so tell us the concept of buy and hold you know that principle of buying and holding a stock or an index fund or an ETF for a significant period of time versus What exactly day trading is or gambling, some people would say.
1: Yeah, day trading is individuals trying to look at a chart of a certain stock or the market to try to predict or anticipate what is going to happen over the next day, week, month, year, right? So it literally is a guess. At best, it's guessing what is going to happen. Right. Whereas long term investing is being able to identify, let's call it countries, so the economies of countries or certain companies or certain industries, and just having a feel for, okay, with how the world is, right? And this is specific to certain industries, right? Do we believe that certain industries will continue to grow? And if that's the case, well, then I can have some exposure to those industries over the next two, three decades, right? Whereas for countries and economies, once again, if you're buying the S&P 500, it's giving you exposure to the US stock market, right? So do I believe the US and the companies in the US will continue to grow? Then you're buying and holding those, right? So you are going off of what would you know, deem the term fundamental analysis, looking at, you know, data, it could be certain metrics to have a feel for, and even if you don't have data, if I were to ask the average person listening to this, right, is Disney going to be growing over the next 10 years, everyone listening to this really can analyze their stock, even if they don't have, like, you know, any data. For example, if I were to ask, do you believe Disney is going to be around in 10 years? And over the next 10 years, do you believe Disney is going to be growing? Whether they are going to be growing their streaming subscribers or people that visit their parks, the simple guaranteed answer that everyone listening to this knows is what? Yes, Disney is going to be around and they are going to be growing. Well, if that's the case, guess what? Let's say Disney, at the point of this recording, is $200 a share, okay? And over the next 10 years, Disney manages to double their revenue in terms of whether they've doubled the number of parks they have or they've doubled their streaming subscribers, right? Then guess what? It means that Disney is going to go from $200 a share, roughly, To $400 a share. And that's how the stock market works. Stocks track the value of companies. Most people don't understand that. Going back to my point about Apple, when Apple dropped 50%, they're making 50% less money. Mm -hmm. That's why I told you it was an obvious answer for me. Once again, why I knew with confidence why that investment just made sense. And once again, I wasn't even going to be in quote trading. I would have deployed that capital for the long-term, right? And you just buy and hold it. Buying and holding. It wasn't, I don't trade. I don't, you know, because trading is essentially looking at charts, trying to guess what's going to happen, right? So long-term investing requires an individual just to do some introspective work of, okay, this company, do I love it? Do I understand it? And is it going to grow? Trading is looking at charts, trying to guess oh, it looks like the stock is trending up over X period of time. So I'm going to assume it's going to do the same and hope and pray that there isn't some random announcement that happens in the world that causes (laughs) the trajectory of that growth to reverse. So yeah, I was once a huge, I was very much against trading of any sort, but I'm starting to realize some people just want to do it. So for people who want to do it, you know, if you're not going to listen to me and long-term invest, you know, just allocate only 10% of your, in quotes, investing funds to that. If you have an urge for trading, right? No more than 10%. So that 90% of your money all go towards long-term investing. I would prefer it be a hundred percent. But at the end of the day, Dr. Ni, we have to allow individuals to do what they want with their money. (laughs) Free will,
0: free will. Well, look, Dr. Hans Boateng, the investing tutor, man, this was dope. Thank you so much for running through at least dispelling some of the emotional blocks that a lot of us have, or at least just some of the hard part, trying to get past the hard part of being so busy as a physician and not understanding the stock market and making really irrational decisions and not entering into the market. We really appreciate it. And I would really love to have you come back and talk about like more of an intermediate level, like where we start talking about what happened with GameStop and maybe even start talking about cryptocurrency and some more things that are just a little bit more sophisticated. So hopefully you'll come on later on.
1: Yeah. 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 Very, very, very excited for that discussion. I want to ask you one more thing. Sure. (laughs) So when I broke down the example with Apple, I know once again, because of how you feel about the market. you know, jokingly, you said foolishness, but after this breakdown, the facts, the reasoning, do you still think it would be foolishness to take half of the equity in a home when at that period in time you had the data and the facts to prove that Apple is not worth 50% less in terms of revenue? It's not worth 50% less in terms of the number of Apple stores that they have. And it's not going to be worth 50% less if the pandemic is, like goes away. I believe you
0: 100%, Dr. Hans. You just got to convince my wife. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on my wife. How about that? Is that a good out? Yeah. That, I believe everything you say, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. That is a difficult conversation Well, we don't own a house now, but you know, we own real estate property. But still, I get what you're talking about. And this really is, I mean, there's a science to this, Mm -hmm. right? If you do it the right way. And you definitely, you know, brought lights to that so people can understand. And I think ultimately that's what this whole conversation was about, is really dispelling my fears, which I'm just saying, I'm putting myself on front street and saying that my fears are similar to what other people who haven't spent time doing business classes, econ. They've just been focusing on anatomy, physiology, biochemistry. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, here's this money. What do you want to do with it? Right.
1: And I appreciate you taking us through that. And Dr. you one last thing. My wife is kind of similar to you, your wife in that, you know, about five years ago, she didn't know much about investing and she was a bit hesitant to invest. I'll share this with you about a year and a half ago she had this money that was on the side. It was roughly in the 10K range, right? A little bit more than that, where she deployed into the market. Right now, as we speak, it's just been a year and a half. That money, without her showing up anywhere to go work, is upwards of six figures. So after your wife experiences what my wife experienced, trust me, she's going to be a believer in the stock market. And because at the end of the day, like you said, there's a science. And once we fully understand the science, the same way that if you don't know how to drive and someone puts you in a car, it's terrifying to drive. But once you've been taught how to drive, all of a sudden, when you sit in that car, it's like, it's automatic. You're just doing the things. like You accelerate. When you see a stop sign, you stop. When it's you know, a red traffic light, you wait till it's green. You begin to automatically do these things right? And I tell individuals it's the same with the stock market. Just because a person has money to invest doesn't make them an investor. You have to learn and educate and have discussions like we've had today. That is what reduces the risk. That is what allows us to go into the market educated, not to take risky bets and gambles, but to be strategic with how we allocate our money. So yeah, this has been an incredible discussion. Thank you for taking the time. Well my wife should be listening. So hopefully she's listening and I'll let you know
0: the next time if we're putting, you know, maybe our rental properties for the refinancing. <laughs>
1: no, no, no. Remember, that was in 2020. That oh, yeah, it's not, it's gotta be based off if of the market is, is dropping. Gone. Right? Yeah. So for everyone listening, don't refinance anything, right? That opportunity is gone. It was so obvious, but it's gone. So for now, I would say, begin with the money that you have, invest that, you know, experience, and I'll say 10% of your income, put that into the market. Remember, 401k or retirement accounts, ETFs, and then stocks, right? So that 10% of your income, after whatever you've allocated to you know, retirement accounts, if you have some left or maybe you bump it to 15% then you allocate the remaining to those etfs and then the stocks and you watch your money grow and trust me you're going to be a big believer when you see money grow without having to work for it
0: don't buy a lot of fufu and kenke. i tell you that right now
1: <laughs> so dr hans how can
0: people learn more about you listen to you check out your podcast you let them know all about that
1: yeah so you can find me on instagram I'm at the investing tutor on Instagram. If you want to connect, you know, DM me, comment. I view it as a community for us to have updates of what's going on, you know, with business, economics, stock markets. That's the way I view my page. So on Instagram, we can connect there. And for individuals who are just interested in learning more about what I do, I also have a free stock investing program, actually, and it's on my website, theinvestingtutor.com, right? So T-H-E, investingtutor.com. Boom. There it is, Dr. Hans Boateng. Thank you so much for coming on Docs Outside
0: the Box. Looking forward to having you back on soon. Yeah,
1: likewise.